what I've been sort of studying and mulling over is um, Colossians. And I, I just wanted to read a bit of the first chapter of Colossians, the first five verses. And uh, I hope what I read and share with you tonight will encourage you. Um, so if we can just go there with your Bibles. <clears throat> Um, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you. I just want to read something of that and talk about that this evening. Um, just a bit of a little background to the, this letter that Paul wrote. Um, he basically wrote it for two reasons. The one was that it's interesting because Paul actually never went and visited this church, so he didn't know the believers personally. But one of his co-workers, Epaphras, went along and started preaching the gospel in this area. And uh, as a result, three churches were planted, and one of, this, one of the churches was Colossae. So he's writing to this church because he feels some kind of apostolic heart and responsibility towards it. And then the second reason was also because there had come a, a heresy which was known as the Colossian philosophy, and it had crept into this local community. Um, and it started to sow seeds into the people's way of thinking and uh, how they were working out their faith as believers. And Paul was wanting to just help them to get onto a good footing with this, um, not allowing this to encroach on the good uh, footing they had made in their walk with God so far. So he wanted to establish them to be strong in the Lord and to understand what this um, philosophy was that had crept into the, their church. Maybe if you just look in um, chapter 2, in verse 8, you'll see it gives you a little bit of a hint about this philosophy. It says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And then again in verse 16, it says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are but a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And again, we see it in verse um, uh, um, well, verse 18 goes on to say, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into these things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And verse 21 says, do not touch, do not uh, taste, do not handle. And um, these things are according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So we don't have a very explicit understanding of what this Colossian heresy was, but we do see the way that Paul addresses is it sort of comes at it at the angle of presenting a positive understanding to address it. But it's, it basically was a Jewish teaching around observing traditions and customs about food and 
and what they should do and shouldn't do. And then it had a mystical element where they said they had to have some supernatural experience with angels in order to validate their Christian experience. And then there was also a bit of asceticism where they had this excessive fasting and this humiliation, like a false humiliation that if you were very harsh on your body and you abstain from things, that that was a sense of spirituality. So those were some of the things that were creeping in. So we see we have, in this first verse, we have Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So he begins and he addresses the church and, and approaches them as, as an apostle. And uh, I think it's interesting because an apostle was someone who had the gospel of Christ revealed to him directly by, by God, and he came and he taught that to the people Whereas this human philosophy, which he's about to address in the letter, was very opposite because it was there by human conjuring and understanding and working it out. It was all a human-made effort and principles that were given. It was philosophical guesswork. But we see the differences when Paul comes, he has this download from God. He has a revelation from God, and what he brings to them is life. And I think right in the beginning, before Paul even addresses this philosophy, he's already making a point of saying, I have a wonderful message for you that comes directly from from God. It's not guesswork from man. And I think the basic thing he's trying to say to them is if you rely on human wisdom, on human philosophies, they're not going to do you any good. Thanks, Joel. Whereas the revelation, the gospel that comes from God will do you good. It will save you. And I, I suppose I have to ask myself, is there any teaching or human wisdom that I can begin to listen to and seat myself in that stops me relying fully on Christ, that doesn't come from revelation from Christ, but I'm relying on things that are, are human traditions or human ways of seeing things and, uh, I suppose, human inventions. And, and what they do is they, instead of making me, me rely on Christ, they make me rely on my own efforts and my own way of working out a plan, so to speak, in order to get things done. And uh, I think that sometimes it is like that. We can have carnal, unspiritual, fleshly knowledge that we take on board, and it's all around us all the time. Um, but God is saying, that's not going to do you any good. That's what Paul's saying. Uh, come and receive this wonderful gospel which will do you good, it will save you. I mean, I, I think sometimes one of the things can be like, if I do this, then God will bless me. We have such a kind of philosophical framework that in order to have the blessing of God, I've got to do something to please him. And maybe that's a very subtle way it can creep into our Christian thought life and it gets into striving and performing. But God is saying, no, come and rest in the truth, the sufficiency of Christ, the gospel that I'm preaching, and that will bring you, do you good. It will do you good. Then he goes on in the next verse, and he says to the saints and faithful brothers um, at, in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So we see this church, is a, this letter is addressed to the believers at Colossae, and he refers to them in two ways. He calls them saints, and he calls them faithful brothers. Uh, I don't know what translations you have, but the, uh, closer to the real translation should say brothers and sisters. Um, but this one says to faithful brothers. But um, let's just look at this thing. He calls the believers saints. 
Um, sometimes when you think of that word saint, you think of going into a Catholic church and a stained glass window and the person standing there with a halo around them. And, uh, and if, if we had to call ourselves saints, which Paul is calling each of us a saint, we wouldn't think that we want to call ourselves a saint. Sometimes we don't feel very saintly. But Paul says that's a word that he uses for every single believer. We are saints. And I suppose what the sense of that is that we are those who are set apart by God for his purposes. And that's what he, he wants to speak to them as this church of believers. He says, I'm writing to you, to those of you who've been set apart by God for a special and a noble purpose. And if you think that he's going to be addressing them about this heresy or this philosophy that's crept into the church, he's also addressing it on that sense. He's saying, God has set you apart not to give yourself to a worldly, fleshly, carnal thinking. He's called you to some higher things. He's called you to believe in a higher truth, in a wonderful thing that's been revealed directly from God. And so he's also appealing to them that they've been set apart for this purpose. But then he calls them faithful brothers. And as I said to you, it's brothers and sisters in the original and I think it's not only are we called to a purpose in God, but we're also called to this delightful relationship with God. And Paul is reminding us that we are part of God's family. So he's saying, you're saints set apart, but you're also brothers and sisters. You are siblings. He's writing to them as siblings. And he's kind of saying to them, you are faithful siblings in the sense of you have the spiritual DNA of our father. There's something of, our, as God is our father and we're part of his family, you've inherited his spiritual DNA. And he's commending them. He's saying, I've seen, just as God is faithful, how you are faithful to one another and you've been faithful to God. And in the light of what he's going to address, he's almost preempting them and saying, and so too, I want you to be faithful to this wonderful gospel that's been revealed to you. You've been faithful in every other way. Now be faithful to the truth that was revealed to you from above because it will do you good. And he's saying, you have your philosophy, your, the DNA of your, your father. And uh, I love the way Paul comes and he writes to them because he could have come like a, a bishop with his scepter and said, right, I'm Apostle Paul and I'm instructing you and you need to do this. But he calls them brothers and sisters. He refers to them as his siblings. So he comes as an older brother to come and speak to them and encourage them with a word from their dad, from their father. It's like him coming and saying, now, come on, brothers and sisters, you know, this is what our dad told us, this is what he revealed, and I'm encouraging you to keep faithful to this wonderful truth that you've heard. He doesn't lord himself over them, he just makes himself accessible and speaks to them as, 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 a, as a brother. And um, I, I often think it is wonderful when God gives us older brothers and sisters in Christ who've walked a road and you can just think, ah, oh, they do help me to remember who my father is and they remind me what it is to be part of his family and they keep me from falling off the cliff into dangers. And uh, I just think it's wonderful. I, I think of people in my life who are older brothers and sisters to me and they, I thank God for those, those siblings in my life. Isn't that wonderful? So... Maybe just to think about this, this thing of that we saints and we siblings. 
with those two things. And when we talk about us being saints, do we understand that um, God has called us to higher things? And I always love this image that I don't know who first said it, but I've always thought of it. Of um, we can see ourselves sometimes as chickens scratching in the dust, pecking at seeds. Um, just when God has actually called us to be eagles that soar in the thermals, and we're pecking around at human wisdom and trying to get some kind of sense out of this world and scratching in the dust. And He says, "Now I've called you to soar as eagles." A ride in the thermals of Christ's sufficiency and all that he has for you. That's what you've called to. You've been set apart for higher things. So do you, just allow God to lift your head up and see the dignity that is in beauty with him. Just to begin to soar. You're a saint set apart. But that we also are siblings. And I've been thinking about that more and more. This thing that I do have the spiritual genetic of my father inside me, and so do each of you. Isn't that a wonderful and an amazing thing? I'm born from above into this amazing family. And I know you could go anywhere in the world, and we were, I was chatting about this with some of the ladies on, in the weekend, you could go anywhere in the world and bump into someone, and if, they, if they're a Christian, you just got an instant rapport, and you connect with them. You might even not speak the same language, but you're able to identify with them. And I think that's an amazing thing. But at the same time, God's given us a very specific local family of brothers and sisters where we can work out those relationships in a deeper way. And so we're not, I think it's this wonderful truth that we are not orphans, that we have a father who looks out for us. But at the same time, we're not an only child. It's not like we just saints set apart and we're all about doing our own thing. No, we saints who are being given a, as part of a family. And we have these siblings that we work out our relationship with. And um, I know from growing up with two sisters and I have two boys, and I know siblings quarrel. It's part of the nature of brothers and sisters. But that's okay because siblings also work things out. And there's this wonderful sense that God calls us to be part of his family. So just from those two verses, we get the sense, if you can remember those two words, we are saints and we are siblings. And then we see Paul says in the first, second part of verse 2, he says, we constantly thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And um, when, when Paul prays to God for his brothers and sisters, it always comes with this sense of thanksgiving. And I'm sure he had much that could have weighed him down about them. He was obviously writing about something that was concerning him. He could have been praying with a very heavy, burdened heart. But I love it that he comes first with thanksgiving to the throne when he th- prays for his brothers and sisters. And uh, maybe that's something uh, I've been trying to do as I've been reading this. I think, okay, as I'm praying for people, let me just start by saying thank you. And it just lifts you. And I think it does this amazing thing. It, it brings a joy and a delight into your relationship with God and in, with that person. And it also is a statement of faith when you pray with thanksgiving because you're almost saying in anticipation, I thank you for the things you're going to do, the things you're working out, whatever it might be. I'm, I'm saying, Lord, thank you. And, um, and I think also it shows an appreciation and a cherishing of the believers that we could just be only children. And uh, 
Oh, I think Jill, uh, was it Diona was saying the other day, she was saying that she's the only Christian in her workplace, and maybe some of you are like that. And it's quite a lonely place when you're the only Christian. But amazing, wonderful thing that we do have brothers and sisters. We're not on our own. And to say thank you that God hasn't just called us on our own. We, have, we can have the support and encouragement of those around us. Then verses 3 to 5 says this. It says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have towards all the saints. You have this faith and love because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Um, I love Michael Eaton says this. He says, Faith, love, and hope are the secrets of being in God's will and achieving something for him. I'll just say it again. Faith, love, and hope are the secrets of being in God's will and of achieving something for him. And there's lots, quite a few scriptures when you look at them. I won't read them out, but if you want to, you can. There's Romans 5, verse 1 to 5, um, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, faith, love, and hope uh, remain, and the greatest of these is love. Whenever these three qualities are mentioned, they always seem to be mentioned together in different scriptures. Ephesians 4, verse 2 to 5, and, and there's, a, there's a lot more. But uh, I want to just have a look at those three things and just amazing how that's come out through the worship and in the prayer time beforehand. I think God is wanting to catch our attention on these. So first of all, we have our, our identity, that we are saints and siblings. And then secondly, we, I've missed out this part, but it does say that Paul, when he prays for them, he prays peace and grace over his brothers and sisters. It's like... I've got a word for you from God. I'm praying this blessing from our Father on you. It's a, a blessing of grace and peace. That's what we need. But then he speaks now about three attitudes. And um, I think it's quite interesting that faith, love, and hope can be called attitudes. Sometimes we can say that they're characteristics or qualities. But I think it's quite an interesting thing to say. It's an attitude with which you approach life. You can approach life with an attitude of faith, you can approach your relationships with an attitude of love, and you can approach the future with an attitude of hope. So I just want to have a look at those three things as three attitudes that are key to our Christian life, faith, love, and hope. So we see that when Paul says he's thankful to God or he gives thanks for them, he's grateful for, to God for their faith. And we know that faith is the thing that saves us. When we believe in what Jesus has done, then faith is the thing that justifies us and we have this covering of righteousness. But the reality of faith, so Paul commends them for the saving faith that they had. But he, he goes a step further. I think he's saying that they also have a faith that needs to continue after you get saved. It's a faith that needs to be applied a thousand times. And hopefully not a thousand times in one day, but there's just an ongoing application of this faith. In facing opposition, faith needs, we need faith to go on believing. In facing trials, we need faith to go on believing. Amidst delays in our lives, faith enables us to go on believing. And when we find weakness in ourselves, Faith enables us to go on believing. It has to be applied in every single situation. 
wherever we are, faith is the attitude that allows us to persevere and to continue. And Paul says he's grateful to God that in this church, in this, these Colossian siblings, he sees this faith that it, that's being applied all the time. Um, because I think this, it's interesting because the first saving faith that we have is the thing that roots us in the fact that we're not under condemnation, that we're secure in our Father's love, and it gives us the security of our place in God's eyes, that we're part of his family. And then that other faith that we apply over and over and over just makes sense. Because if God has secured us and he's been faithful to hold us as his own and take us as his children, will he not sustain us and continue in that in our lives that he, in all that he has for us? And um, uh, I think faith, if we're talking about it as an attitude, it's not just an attitude of the heart, but it's an attitude of our mind. And it's a way of thinking about our lives. And I think that's something that Michael Eaton has certainly helped us all understand. And um, that truth that he brought, that if God is faithful in the greater thing of saving us, will he not also be faithful in the lesser thing of sustaining us? And uh, I love what Michael Eaton said. He said, the difference between great faith and little faith is not thinking. <laughs> so it's just think about it a bit and your faith will grow because of this, this thing that I've just said. Just think about it. If he saved us, if he saved you and me and took us out of darkness when we were lost in our sin and he brought us into life, what is there that you are facing today that he cannot deal with? Just think. <laughs> it's amazing, hey? What is there that he is too small to handle? Just think. And if that attitude of faith applied in our, in our understanding. There's nothing too difficult for God. He's done all for us already. Will he not do the small thing that you are trusting him for? And uh, I, love, I love what Jesus said to Jairus when his daughter was dying, or she, had she died. And he says, to, he says to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. Don't you love those words? Do not fear, only believe. And that's what the Lord would say to each of us. Don't fear, only believe. I've done so much for you already. I'm faithful. You've got my DNA in you. I'm a faithful God. And will I not do this and sustain this to the end? So Paul is grateful to God for their faith. Then it says Paul is grateful also to God for their love, the love in this church. And what kind of love did the Colossae church live out? And uh, I believe because they had a revelation of Jesus and they had his spirit within them, as we do, love meant to live as Jesus did. That's what they understood. Love was to be like Jesus because Jesus was selfless in his love. I think that love comes when you know a brokenness that has emptied you of yourself and you've lost self-concern and self-interest. And I think you're, when I was looking at the section on love, I was going, Lord, I need love. <laughs> I need more love in my life because I just, uh, yeah, it was a very challenging. So, I mean, what I'm saying when I'm sharing this, this is all the stuff I've been wrestling in my own devotions. So, um, trying to ask God to do these things in me. 
But I also was challenged by a thought that love is something that when it sees a need in someone else, it is moved to action. Because I sometimes see needs, but I don't move to action. And I just think love is an amazing step further than just identifying the need and the plight, but moving to action. Um, love is, a, I think, like a warmth of heart and a compassion that springs up to help the weak and the wicked. Because, you know, it's interesting how it um, describes this love that the Colossian church had. It said, they had a love for all the saints, not their favorite saints. And it's easy to love some of the saints, but something very great has happened to us when we can love all the saints. And uh, they love the backslidden, they love the poor, the uneducated, the insincere, the hostile, offended and the offensive and whoever else <laughs> we could think of but they were able to love all the saints and he was grateful to God for this kind of love that was evident in this church and they were actually well known for their loving everybody and uh, so I wrote in my journal who is it Lord that you would have me love today and inevitably <laughs> it's not always an easy person to love <laughs> And then sometimes I was thinking that sometimes it can even be, don't laugh, eh? sometimes it can even be those closest to us. <laughs> because it is funny because um, we, were, we were chatting the other day, you know, when you go home and you're on your own, you can lie on the couch and channel surf and Someone is saying, and pass wind, and everybody loves you. <laughs> but when you're with, with other people, you try to have a certain social reserve, and you behave yourself politely. But I think when we are with those who are closest to us, all we allowed each other to see all our weaknesses and our foibles. And there's, there's where it's much easier to become more frustrated or whatever. But God says we are to love all the saints, all of us equally. And um, so I went back to that very famous, well-known passage of love that's always read at weddings and uh, just began to read through them. And I've still been quoting it at myself this past week when I face situations. Um, but, yeah, maybe it's good to just read it again if you want to. I'll, I've kind of got a whole lot of paraphrases that I've written out. But I, it's, what, what is it? 1 Corinthians 13. A famous passage on love. Um, but love is patient. So <laughs> I'm sure you can think of some situations where you're needing to be patient. Love is kind. I'm thinking about kindness. It's sort of like kindness is almost putting yourself in someone else's shoes and saying, actually, I know what you're going through and I'm going to be kind to you. Because that's really tough what you're going through, or you know, that's going to be kind, or it's not envious, um, it's not self promoting, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. <laughs> I always seem like I'm arrogant when I argue with my husband, I always got a better idea. Um, it doesn't insist on its own way. How often I think about when I just want my own way. Um, I'm not irritable. I don't 
counts up wrongdoing. I'm not resentful. Gee, I find a lot of resentment in my life. I thought, yes, but it's this and this and this and this. And then God said, so why are you counting up all the times and remembering all those things? When I've wiped your sin as far away as the east is from the west, why are you holding resentment? Um, anyway, that was my week. I've been dealing with those. Not delighting in sin, but rejoicing in the truth. Amazing. And Paul says he was so grateful because these saints and siblings were showing this kind of love. And, uh, you know, it is, a, it is quite an impossible kind of love. You do understand that. But the amazing thing is, is he knew also they had the DNA of their dad. And we have the DNA of our Heavenly Father. So he enables us by his spirit to love like this. It's, it is impossible. And that, they say that you will know they are Christians by their love. It's our wonderful way of, of speaking to the world about our Father's love. And then the last point I want to make is that Paul is grateful to God for their hope. And he says, you have this faith and love because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. So first of all, there's faith, and then faith gives birth to love because as we embrace and recognize God's love towards us and we have faith to receive it, he has this amazing thing that he gives us his love and we in turn are able to love back, love others, love our siblings, and those outside our family, and love our Father. But basically, Paul is saying, love and faith are inspired by hope. So we have two attitudes, love and faith, and the third attitude is hope. Because the Colossian believers, they were expectant of the glory and the reward on the last day. And they understood that that future glory and reward was linked to their present-day love and faith. The amount that they loved and had faith and trusted God was directly correlating to that future glory that they were looking forward to. And so hope for the future became a motivation to keep trusting now because they knew that their hope would be rewarded. And they understood that they could persevere through trials now and trust in God because he was refining their faith and um, they could carry on forgiving each other and extending grace to each other. They could carry on loving now because they knew that God had something wonderful stored up for them. You know, last week I had a kind of a bad week. Sometimes I don't really like studying all these things because everything gets tested all in one go. <laughs> and uh, But I really made a... I let myself down and I kind of made a decision and I, d I did something that I really felt compromised my values because I reacted to fear instead of faith and hope. <laughs> I had the wrong attitude. And I was shocked by myself how contrary to faith and love and hope my attitude was. And, um, and I, I even compromised something I, I valued very dearly. And I was shocked. Have you ever been in a situation when you behaved in a way that shocks you Shocks even yourself, you thought, oh, I didn't know that was in me. <laughs> we have this nice veneer, and then suddenly God puts a test in front of us, and we, we just miss it. And you think, 
is that what I really value? So I'll say this, but actually what I really value is what I just did. And um, yeah, that was a challenge this last week. But I, I think that what Paul was commending this church, these believers, he says, when we live with a future glory in mind, when we're motivated by an expectation of the Lord's reward and affirmation, our, our current faith and love take on a new caliber. There's something different that happens there. Because we don't just have faith for the moment. We don't just love just to get through now. There's um, something truly great has happened when hope infuses our daily choices. When I'm living for something beyond now. I'm living... I have an attitude that says I'm living for the future. And it was it's said that the Colossians knew that their um, reward in heaven was secure. It was laid up there. It wasn't a, a wishful, oh, maybe there's something good to look forward to. It was stored up. He says it's laid up. You've got this faith and love because you know this thing is laid up for you. It's stored in there. And if you just want to quickly flip to Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. Um, which is also, I know, a well-known passage. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility um, from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. That you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We have this wonderful example in our great brother, Jesus who was the one that persevered because he knew the glory that he was waiting for. But um, I want to ask this evening, are you weary in showing love? Is there a relationship where you've got weary and you think, God, I can't do it anymore? Are you weary in showing love? Is it having to forgive over and over and you think, how many more times do I need to forgive this person? Is it in being patient again? Is it in guarding your heart from counting wrongs and becoming resentful? I want to exhort you tonight, consider the joy set before you, stored up for you in heaven. Let it motivate you to love. Because as you see what God is storing up for you, it's worth far more than, than you don't want that to be lost at the expense of just becoming angry and sitting on bitterness because God has rewards for us. And I believe some of those rewards are in heaven and some are now because as we make choices to love and as we make choices to be patient, we reap the rewards here on earth in our relationships. So it's a present reward and a future reward. And I know this version says discouraged and other <clears throat> chapters say faint-hearted. Lest you become weary and faint-hearted. And I want to say, are you faint-hearted in your faith tonight? Is there something you are feeling faint-hearted? Is it just that you cannot see a way through? Is it that you've waited so long and there's still no answer? 
And Paul, or the writer to the Hebrews, says, don't become weary. Don't become faint-hearted in your faith. Consider Jesus. Uh, he, for what he was set before him, he persevered through all that he went through. And if you just look back one chapter in Hebrews, we have this wonderful chapter on faith. And if you read from verse 13 to 14, 16, it says, all these people that are commended for their faith, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I believe that when we have an attitude of hope about what we're persevering through in faith for, it gives us an eternal perspective. And that's what these people had. They had an attitude that had an eternal perspective about their lives. That yes, you are waiting, you're longing to see the breakthrough. God is faithful, but in the light of eternity, these things find perspective. In the light of eternity, these things find their place. You understand? And hope enables us to have faith that God will be faithful to see these things come through. But these things get perspective, they become light and momentary troubles, as Paul calls them, in the light of the greater, glorious things that God has in store for us. Hope. Uh, I, I sometimes think of things in my life that make me sad, and I, I think, oh, why is this relationship not a good one? Or this is a broken thing, and I long for restoration. But I have heaven as my hope. I know that in heaven these things will be restored, and my trust is that God will do it here on earth. But heaven is my hope. Heaven is what keeps me trusting that God is still going to do this and the amazing things that he's promised he will do. So I want to encourage you tonight. Let hope infuse your faith and your love. Don't grow weary. Don't grow faint-hearted because of the joy set before you. And God will reward your love and your faith. And uh, so I, I want to, just in concluding, bring those, maybe those Five words to mind. Remember that you're a saint set apart by God. So set yourself apart for higher things. Let your mind be attentive to pearls of wisdom from him above through his word. Don't give yourself to earthly scrappy philosophies that people put together. I mean, we're busy reading a book called Dealing with Dawkins. And when you read his all his... Uh, philosophies that he's put together. It's a lot of guesswork. There's a lot more gaps than there is theory. And, but anyway, those are the kinds of things we can start to fill our minds with. And let's be saints. We are saints. Then we are siblings. Let's celebrate our siblings. And let's thank God that we're part of his family and he's a good father to us. He's watching out for us. We're not orphans. We're part of a family. And then um, let's say, Lord... This week, will you put these attitudes in my life? Will you help me to face now the problems I'm facing? Would you give me an attitude of faith, not of fear, not of frustration? In the relationships you've put around me, will you view me with love? 
a love that is supernatural, but I've got your DNA in me, and I know that you can enable me. And then, Lord, will you give me hope again where that has become dim? To see that you have, you put all these things in perspective because there's something far greater that you've called us to.